Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already support us, you can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you can click on one of our two friendly yellow buttons, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, July 13th, 2015. All right, looking at the program notes, we are going to be all over the map today. I mean, yeah, I don't think you can be any more all over the map. For tuning in, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of bizarre, crazy, strange doctrines being put out 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 there by the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets and prophetesses. And, you know, it's just a mess is what it basically boils down to. And what we try to teach you to do here at Fighting for the Faith, this is a teaching program, by the way, is to open up your Bible and read it in context and to test to see if what somebody's saying is true. You know, unfortunately, we live in a day where... You know, what will happen is, is that just because a Christian publisher publishes a book, people think, well, you know, if Zondervan published this author, then they've got to be good, right? Because, you know, Zondervan would never, ever, I mean, you know, sell false doctrine to make a buck. They, they would never do that. And so if Zondervan publishes it, we, we, we believe it's true. And, and of course, if Lifeway carries it, you know, then, I mean, everybody knows that Lifeway would never, you know, sell false doctrine because Lifeway is like the official arm of, you know, in publishing, you know, for the Southern Baptist Convention, and they don't put up with false doctrine, do they? You see, that's the thing, is is that we're not to take somebody else's word for it, no. And I'll be blunt, Lifeway has had to pull things off the shelves, uh, begrudgingly, by the way, uh, that we're not sound, we're not solid. And they were called out on it, and they begrudgingly took a few titles off the shelf. You could still get them via special order. But, you know, uh, you know the problem is is that just because Lifeway sells uh, a particular author doesn't mean that that author's sound. Just because Zondervan, you know, you know, puts a book out 
That doesn't mean that it's sound doctrine. Just because a lot of Christians think that this person is so engaging and so amazing as a and they're so entertaining does not mean that they're telling you the truth. In fact, just because I'm pointing out that that somebody is, you know, that there's a lot of false doctrine running around doesn't mean that I'm teaching sound doctrine. Yeah, like, not at all. Um, yeah, the only way you can tell whether or not somebody is teaching sound doctrine, teaching the truth, and giving us a, a proper understanding of Scripture is to learn how to read Scripture. Open up your Bible and read things in context. That's the idea. So it doesn't matter if somebody is uber popular. That is not the uh, sign that they're uh, that they're a sound teacher. Doesn't matter if everybody everywhere is using that person's material in their small group Bible study. Uh, need I point out? Uh, you know, resources like the Prayer of Jabez or the Purpose Driven Life. Yeah, those were big fads in their day, and, and they neither one of them were based upon sound biblical teaching. Uh, but everybody had to do them. I mean, you know, if you were part of an evangelical church when, you know, Rick Warren's The Purpose Driven Life came out, chances are your church did the 40 days of purpose, and every small group study in your church was doing the 40 days of purpose all at the same time, right? Yeah, just because everybody's doing it doesn't mean that it's sound doctrine. Yeah, you, you think of that, you know, that thing that your mom used to say, so if uh, everybody jumped off a cliff, would you do it? Yeah, it's kind of the same thing. The Apostle Paul didn't get a pass. The Bereans actually checked out his message from the written scriptures that they had, and they, all they had was the Old Testament. But they tested to see if what Paul was saying was true, and you know what they found out? They found out that Paul was preaching the truth, that the Messiah did have to die and rise again. He was speaking the truth, and the reason why they knew that that was the case, because unlike some people who closed their minds and rejected what Paul was saying, the Bereans said, hmm, if this is true, then God's word would say these things. And they dug in and found the passages in the Old Testament prophesying about the death of the Messiah, how he would die, that he would rise again. And they said, this man's telling us the truth. This is true. And they, you know, and so the idea is nobody gets a pass. Not me, not the Apostle Paul, not Peter, not Rick Warren, not Beth Moore, not Joyce Meyer, not Stephen Furtick, not T.D. Jackson. It doesn't matter how popular they are. Nope. Doesn't matter a bit. Instead, what matters is whether or not they're rightly handling God's word. And it doesn't matter if they were handling God's word very well five years ago. If they're not doing it well today, then there's a problem. You, 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 you get what I'm saying. Now, like I said, at the opening of today's program, we are going to be all over the map today and probably all over the map tomorrow, which means there is technically no theological, doctrinal, apologetic, or epistemological theme that I'm going to be working on today. Uh, no, this is going to be one of those stinking pot, a.k.a. potpourri episodes of Fighting for the Faith. And we're we're just going to be all over the map. And so, in fact, I'm looking at this going, where do I want to start? Okay, so here's where I want to start. We're going to begin with a Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update. Yeah, that, that that's uh, Patricia King and the gang and, uh, you know, those like her. And she's going to be interviewing Katie Sousa, yeah, of Expected End Ministries. That will lead us off today. We're going to switch gears and we're going to head out to Glory of Zion. 
And we're going to be listening to a, a guy by the name of Robert Heidler. Robert Heidler. And probably one of the more bizarre teachings I've heard. You know, apparently all of the charismatics have, and the TBN preachers, and all of the uh, basically snake oil salesmen, they've all supposedly discovered the Hebrew roots of Christianity. And <laughs> Robert Heidler is one of these guys that... Uh, yeah, let's just say that he ain't very good at properly understanding the Hebrew roots. And so he's going to tell us about the importance of the month of Tammuz. Yeah, that's right. If you didn't know the month of Tammuz was very important, well, it has some significant prophetic significance, you know. And uh, we're going to hear that from Robert Heidler. And uh, somewhere we're going to take a break in there. And then we are going to, yeah, I'm, I'm, do I want to do this one or that one? Yeah, okay. So he, then what we're going to do, I see I had to make a decision. I had to go one way or the other. I was tempted to go T.D. Jakes. I think I'm going to hang on to T.D. Jakes till tomorrow. We have a Joyce Meyer update. Strange twisting of God's word. And we'll end off hour number one with a Bill Johnson update where he claims that Jesus was born again. Did you know that Jesus was born again? I Yeah, I had no idea. Um <laughs> Which, by the way, doesn't make any sense uh, at all when you actually understand what's going on in the biblical text. And, of course, then where he goes from there is just crazy and bizarre. And then in hour number two, we are going to head to a church we have never been to before to review a sermon. The name of the church is Radiant Church. Radiant. You know, isn't that one of the terms uh, used by uh, Wilbur in... Yeah, you get what I'm saying. From the uh, oh, what's the the, the spider web thing? Uh, Charlotte's Web. Yeah, Wilbur wasn't he radiant? I, I think the the that the um, the rat wanted to make him say the word crunchy. But uh, anyway, uh, so <laughs> we're going to be going to Radiant Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and we're going to be listening to a sermon by Pastor Kelly, female. Hudnall entitled Living a Life of Impact, Living a Life of Impact. So that's what's going to be happening on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I strongly recommend that you make yourself comfortable. We do have a lot of ground to cover. And since we're beginning with the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate update, that requires us to do this. At an English fair, one evening I was there when I heard a showman shouting underneath the flare. I've got so lovely bunch of coconuts. There they are, standing in a row. Big one, small one, some as big as your head. Give them a twist, a flick of the wrist, that's what the showman said. I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. Every ball you throw will make me rich. There stands me wife, the idol of me life, singing roly bell a ball a penny a pitch. Singing roly bell a ball a penny a pitch. Singing roly bell a ball a penny a pitch. Roly bell a ball, roly bell a ball, singing roly bell a ball a penny a pitch. So what we're going to be listening to is uh, Patricia King interviewing Katie Sousa and the name of the uh, episode of Everlasting Love that we'll be listening to a portion of is entitled Live Free, Live Free. And uh, all I can say is brace yourself because what you're about to hear is not, and I do mean this, not sound doctrine. Here we go. 
Have you ever found yourself in situations where it's like one circumstance after another seems to go bad? It could be with your health, your finances, um, maybe relationships and that. And you think, yeah, kind of the way things have been happening to the you know the church at large. One bad thing after another, one false teacher after another, one false prophet after another, one strange wind of doctrine and people jumping on that bandwagon. It's as if you know there's this large highway leading to hell, and then there's this really tiny path that leads to eternal life. It's, it's kind of like that. But do continue, uh, Patricia. What's going on here? I'm in such a swirl. What is causing this? Do you know that possibly the cause could be like a root of bitterness? or No. <gasps> I had never thought about that. Did you, did you know that, that there, there's a reason why, maybe one of the reasons why things are just not going so well for you is because you have a root of bitterness. Oh, that just, you know, hang on. Oh, this sounds... Oh. Who is going to save us from the root of bitterness? Oh, the root of bitterness is struck. Oh, please tell us, how can we be saved from this, Patricia? A bitterness that touches your heart that you aren't even aware of because it can be so subtle. Yeah, it's a subtle root of bitterness. Oh, you know how those things go. Gasp. We continue. Today, we're going to try to expose some of those subtleties of, of bitterness and how they can affect your life. And I have my special friend and guest, Katie Sousa, hey. with me from, from Katie Sousa Ministries. Yes. And we're glad. Yeah, this is what we call the blind leading the blind. Are you with us today? Hi. How are you? I'm doing great. And you've um, just, you know, I'll just do this right up top. You have a, uh, a series that you're doing yes. of teaching called Live Free, Escaping the Trap of Bitterness of Soul. Mm -hmm. Not only the CD set, but you have this soaking yes. CD that you can just soak in. Yeah, soaking CD. You know what soaking CDs are really all about? They're about soaking the people buying them so that the people selling them can make a lot of money. They are truly soaking cds but you see yeah see the premise behind it is is that you're supposed to marinate in the presence of god by soaking and and so what you do is you you get into a relaxed state and you practice the presence of of god in the holy spirit by just sitting there and soaking and baking in his presence it's like getting a spiritual suntan if you know what i mean but the, the thing is is that Nowhere in scripture, and I mean this, like not one single verse, not one single passage, not one, you know, anything, anywhere in the Bible teaches us that we can experience the presence of God by soaking or marinating in his presence. This is truly a man-made uh, technique, if you would, without any assurance from God, the Holy Spirit, that he's going to show up. Should you decide to soak, which is all the more reason why I make it clear that, you know, soaking CDs, that they really truly are that they are soak. They're all about soaking, but they're soaking you for your money. And uh, yeah, that's what they're really all about. But uh, we continue. The bitterness right out of you, right? right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but over the years, you have discovered that bitterness is a, a key um, that needs to be addressed if people want to come into freedom. Yeah, you know, yeah, real quick, if you've discovered that bitterness is a key and that people need to address it in order to come into freedom, uh, if you've discovered this, then the only place that you could discover that this is truly the case 
is using a clear passage in the Word of God that teaches this. Now, of course, if God's Word really did teach this, then all Christians that are Orthodox, who are sound in the faith and truly believe in Orthodox Christian doctrine, then they would all understand, oh, yes, well, what we're talking about is what, you know, what it says in one of the prophets, or Moses wrote about this, or one of the apostles addressed this very issue. And you can find it in this passage or that passage or another passage. But notice that, uh, well, uh, Patricia King said that Katie Sousa discovered, she discovered that, uh, that, that this root of bitterness thing has to be addressed if people want to experience freedom. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm sorry, but Katie Sousa, you know, and, and I hate to kind of put it this way, but she's an ex-con. She, she spent time in prison. Uh, she was <clears throat> somebody who I think that the reason why she spent time in prison was because she was one of those people who, like, ran a meth lab or something to that effect. And so yeah, I just don't think that the seminary she went to while she was in lockup – uh, helped her to rightly understand God's word. I just she doesn't strike me as somebody who truly has really um, well got a, a good biblical education and learned how to rightly handle God's word from a reputable Christian institution. If you know what I mean. Um, one of the things that the ministry does is move in a lot of supernatural healing, and we've had a lot, thousands and thousands of people healed at our meetings, healed through our ministry. Thousands and thousands of people. Just because you say so doesn't mean it's true. I'd like to see the medical records, please. One of the things, the, the predominant themes that I see that people don't even realize is bitterness. And when they let themselves get bitter or when they get bitter at somebody who's spoken bad about them or they let themselves get bitter at their job because, you know, they're not being treated fairly or they're not getting the raise they need or they're getting tired or maybe they're getting bitter because a dream hasn't come to pass yet or a word from God. And they're now, waiting. just imagine Katie Sousa as a doctor. OK, just imagine her as a doctor. Yeah, okay, so Dr. Sousa, um, where did you study medicine? You didn't. Okay, um, wh- wh- uh, what exactly makes you a doctor? You, you're claimed to supernatural experiences. I, I see. Okay. Yeah. Um, and where did you learn how to diagnose problems like this? Again, supernatural experiences. Hmm. Now, if she were a medical doctor, would you go to her? To, you know, if you were suffering from cancer or you had some major ailment and you needed medical attention, would you go to Dr. Sousa for that? Well, of course you wouldn't. She doesn't sound like she's qualified, you know, to be practicing medicine at all. Right. And I'm listening to her and she doesn't sound like she's qualified to be preaching God's word or teaching it like at all. She sounds like a complete quack. You know, I mean, seriously, I mean, she sounds if she were a medical doctor, she'd be the kind of medical doctor who thinks that they can cure you of cancer by, you know, putting beads on you that have been prayed over by somebody who claims to have seen the Virgin Mary and and then use coffee grounds as shampoo, you know, and it'll it'll just clear your, you know, your cancer right up. I mean, this is this is the caliber of medical doctor she would be, but she's that caliber of person when it comes to ailments as it pertains to the spirit you know what i'm saying and they're waiting and they get tired and in that tiredness and that frustration and that way there's bitterness that comes up and then that bitterness in itself causes so many sicknesses i'm just shocked right. at the amount of yeah bitterness causes all these sicknesses wow 
things that come from being bitter. And this has been proven <clears throat> medically, too. Scientifically, it's proven, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, doctors in the natural will say that people that go through a trauma traumatic experience, or allow themselves to get angry, offended, bitter, judgmental, and critical, can develop physical diseases, even deadly diseases. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, bitterness and unforgiveness. So the, we're still, we're dealing with spiritual bitterness. Since, I mean, people can have this happen to them in the natural. <laughs> it just means, ergo, that, you know, that it happens in the supernatural, too. Deadly, according to the scripture, it says about bitterness that it will defile many. Yes, exactly. So it not only touches your own life, but mm -hmm. it touches those around you. Mm -hmm. And look out, because it's actually contagious when you get a little bit of bitterness. Oh, no! Bitterness is an airborne contagious disease! Gasp! And I haven't been wearing a mask. I know, I know. I'm in, I'm in trouble here, folks. I mean, I may have been exposed to bitterness, and now I might test positive for it you and you start sharing it with others they catch the bitterness too right. and it can come into the soul katie i want to ask you a question about bitterness here is that i know a lot of times when a christian thinks of bitterness they think oh yeah i'm not bitter i'm not bitter you know because we think of maybe the big issues yeah and they think oh well i don't have any unforgiveness i don't have any right. you know thing in my life that's a big issue that i'm i'm suffering through but yeah i I, are you sure that I test positive for bitterness? I mean, I don't seem to have anything. Like, how do I know if, if you know, if I don't really know, you know? Bitterness can actually be extremely subtle, can't it? Like, even, yeah. like, if you're standing in a food line yes. and, um, you know, trying to check through your groceries and that, right. and someone is being slow ahead of you, but you're in a hurry, yeah. that little, just temporary bitter feeling like, why don't you hurry up or, you know, mm. you're holding me back. Yeah. That is actually bitter because it's not sweet. Yeah. So any. Oh. <laughs> 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 Ooh, that's so profound. Yes, folks. So if you're in the grocery line and uh, you're saying to that person, you know, in your mind, you're holding me up. We, we know that that is bitter. And the reason we know that is because it's not sweet. <laughs> oh, man. It's, it's just sad to think that people actually watch this television program and think they're being spiritually discipled and taught the Christian faith. When we're not sweet, yeah. we could be bitter. Yeah, you know, it is very subtle. And I'll just give you a really good example. A friend of mine had developed a terrible disease, and part of it was that she had fungus growing in her lungs. Yeah. Oh, yuck. I couldn't figure out what is this from God, you know, fungus in the lungs, right? And so I got quiet one night and prayed and asked God to give me a word. And he gave me the word fretting. And I'm like, okay, where is that in the Bible? And I found it in Leviticus 14. And when I'm reading the scripture and it's talking about houses that would get a plague of fungus in them. I'm like, oh, okay, wow. this is a word for me and my friend. Because uh, of fretting? Leviticus 14 talks about those who fret suffer from fungus? Yeah, I, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> hang on a second here. We're going to have to check the Bible. Yeah, this is how you do uh, discernment, by the way. You actually read the word of God. Okay, so Leviticus 14, how many verses are we dealing with here? Um, okay, well, let's take a look. Leviticus 14.1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought uh, to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look 
And then if the case of the leprous disease is healed in the leprous person, the priest shall command them to take for him who has been cleansed. Okay, so we've got the opening here. Uh, this section has to do with what to do with a leprous person. Then we got verse 10, next section. And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish. So this is talking about the sacrifice of the person who is leprous. Um, and then in verse 21, well, it talks then about if the poor cannot afford uh, so much, then he shall take one male lamb. So what do you do with somebody who's poor and they can't afford the sacrifice that's needed here? And then uh, verse 33, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you for a possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in a house in the land of your possession, then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest, there seems to be some case of disease in my house that I think this is what they're referring to. Then the priest shall, uh, shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes to examine the disease, lest all that is in the house be declared unclean. And afterward, the priest shall go in and see the house and he shall examine the disease. And if the disease is in the walls of the house with greenish or reddish spots, and if it appears to be deeper than the surface, then the priest shall go out of the house to uh, to the door of the house and shut up the house for seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look if the disease has spread in the walls of the house. Then the priest shall command that they take out the stones in which the disease, uh, in which is the disease and throw them into an unclean place outside the city. Sounds like we're dealing with mold and fungus. And he shall have the inside of the house scraped all around and the plaster that they scrape off they shall pour out in an unclean place outside the city. Then they shall take other stones, put them in the place of those stones, and he shall take other plaster and the plast and plaster the house. If the disease breaks out again in the house after he has taken out the stones and scraped the house and plastered it, then the priest shall go and look. And if the disease has spread to the house, it is a persistent leprous disease in the house. It is unclean, and he shall break down the house, its stones and the timber and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them out of the city to an unclean place. Moreover, whoever enters the house while it is shut up shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever sleeps in the house shall wash his clothes. And whoever eats in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes and looks, if the disease has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean for the disease is healed. Yeah. Nothing mentioned in Leviticus 14 about, you know, being bitter or root of bitterness, it's basically talking about a house that's experiencing an outbreak of mold and fungus. And this has nothing to do with what they're talking about. You know, sure sign that you know she is not qualified to handle God's word because she's twisting it here. I'm reading about the fungus and how they would scrape it off and then they would go out and see if it would grow back. And then if it did grow back, it was called the fretting plague. And I go, okay, there's my word, fretting. So I'm like... It was called the fretting plague? Yeah, no, it was not called the fretting plague. Uh, <laughs> where did you get this idea that it's called the fretting plague? Yeah, it, it doesn't say that in the scripture at all. Read a good translation what that means so i look up the word fretting in one of the lexicons i had and it means to be bitter wow to be bitter now this person is not a bitter seeming to be not a bitter person this is a, a powerful woman of god loves the lord mm -hmm. moves in healing and deliverance herself uh, uh -huh, but she was suffering from 
Oh, wait a second. I, mean, I need my dramatic music. She was suffering from... The fretting plague. Oh, yo, because did she have mold in her house? Uh, just an amazing person. Right. But it started to manifest. It's funny because the Lord pointed it out to me and her. It started to manifest on some Facebook posts that she. So she has fungus on her Facebook posts? Ew. She had about a official in our government and about how this person is doing this right. and that person's mishandling that and made a bad decision here. Oh, no. She was saying nary words about politicians. And that created the root of bitterness, which caused the fungus to come into her lungs. Because, of course, everybody knows that Leviticus 14, in talking about mold and fungus, you can look it up in a lexicon. And another way to talk about that is it's the fretting disease. Yeah, the fretting plague. And that means because she was bitter towards a politician, that's why she had fungus in her lungs. <gasps> the mystery is solved. And you could feel as you read the posts, the bitter feeling towards that government official. Right. And that was showing me, wow, there was a root of bitterness. And when we prayed for her to be healed of that, she got healed of the fungus and the disease went away. Wow. Uh, did she delete all those Facebook posts? <laughs> Again, if Katie Sousa were basically putting herself in the market as a medical doctor, would you trust your body with her? No, of course you wouldn't. Why then would you trust your eternal soul with her? All right, we're up on our uh, first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, I'll have to decide what we're going to get to. I don't know if we're going to be able to get to uh, Joyce Meyer today. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Gentlemen, we have two basic suggestions for the design of this megachurch, and I thought it best that the architects themselves came in to explain the advantages of both designs. That must be the first architect now. Ah, yes, this is Mr. Wapcat of Finkel, Dewey, and Grime. Good morning, gentlemen. 
Uh, yes, the design I've devised for the new worship center has all the aesthetic beauty of the Crystal Cathedral with all the advantages of modern technology. Um, the congregants step through these wide double doors here are carried along the corridor on a conveyor belt in extreme comfort past the youth worship basement, the adult worship rock and roll arena, the monster truck smashing train, and into the Sarlacc pit. The last 20 feet of the corridor are heavily soundproofed. The congregants slide down these chutes here into the open mouth. Excuse me. Hmm? Did you say Sarlacc Pit? Um, Sarlacc Pit, yes. Uh, are, are you proposing to digest our congregants over a thousand years? Does that not fit in with your plans? No, it does not. We wanted a simple megachurch, not a death trap. Ah, I see. I hadn't correctly divined your attitude towards the congregants. Uh-huh. You see, I mainly design occultist cathedrals. Yes, pity. Mind you, this is a real butte, not your average satanic mosque with people's beating hearts being ripped out of their chest or burning sulfur pits and convincing passers-by with burnt eyebrows. I mean... My life has been building up to this. Yes, and well done. But we did want a mega church and not a temple of doom. Well, may I ask you to reconsider? I mean, you've no idea how modern and relevant this place can be. Think, think of the tourist trip. No, no, it's not going to work for us. By the way, um, why the Sarlacc pit? Well, it's a pretty standard feature in all of my projects. You see, if you're going to preach heresy, you might as well not even bother waiting. Just send them to the afterlife quickly, is what I've always said. You mean heaven? <laughs> Thank you. You may leave now. Hypocritical puss buckets. My apologies, gentlemen. The next architect is Miss Parsons of Cromwell and Hague. Good afternoon, gentlemen. As you may notice from my scale model, the design takes us back to our ancestral Christian roots. Observe the white bell tower, the baptismal font, the organ at the back of the Stop. church, and... I beg your pardon? You've completely missed the whole point of the megachurch. Uh, you've made something irrelevant. How is the seeker-driven church going to attract prospective customers? I mean, uh, congregants. Isn't church about worshiping Jesus Christ and hearing and learning his word? Jesus has got nothing to do with this. We need tithers, not decrepit old people clinging to their crack leather Bibles and going on and on about how the music's too loud and how the preacher doesn't read enough scripture, complaining about the coffee shop in the main foyer and how they charge too much for a double chocolate spring hazelnut latte. But they still pay the fourteen ninety nine for the latte because the water in the drinking fountain tastes like arsenic. <clears throat> That's enough, Miss Parsons. The answer is no. Very well, gentlemen. Have a good day. This is Dr. Curtis Lyons. I am the presiding pastor of the American Association of Lutheran Churches. If you are seeking a church that believes that the Holy Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God and accepts the Lutheran confessions because they are the right interpretation of Holy Scripture, I hope that you will take a look at the AALC. Also, if you are considering a vocation as a Lutheran pastor, our seminary has a residency program and a program available online. This is Curtis Lyons inviting you to take a look at the AALC. Check us out at taalc.org or on Facebook at the American Association of Lutheran Churches. Hi. 
Hi, Chris Rosebro here to talk about our longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air. Doesn't matter if you're traveling for business reasons or for pleasure. Doesn't matter if you're traveling within the United States or abroad. Cheapo Air is the place for you to save literally hundreds of dollars on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. On the side of our website, you'll see our ad banners. Look at the ad banner for Cheapo Air and look on it. There's a promo code. Write the promo code down, click on the ad banner, and then book your travel at the Cheapo Air website, and you'll have the opportunity to enter that promo code for additional savings. Again, fightingforthefaith.com. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner, and save money on your airfare, hotel rooms, and rental cars today. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if your pastors, pastrixes, and self-styled prophetesses mangle God's word and teach nonsense. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world, and you can partner with us. It's right as a partnership. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. That is a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift pay able to fighting for the faith and then send it to post office box 13344 grand forks north dakota zip code 58208 and let me thank you for your support because we truly cannot do what we are doing here without it all right just a reminder if you haven't already signed up for the pirate 2015 conference this is a anti-conference conference and what i mean by that is intimate environment tight group, small group of people all coming together. Come hang out with us is the idea. We would love to get to meet you, hear your story. You can ask me any question you want. Great lectures by myself, Pastor Jordan Cooper, Pastor Jeremy Rohde, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. Fun will be had by all good theology. It's just, it's going to be a, you know, a fantastic event. I'm really looking forward to it. It is the last Wednesday and Thursday of this month, the 29th and 30th of july in aurora colorado and uh you can get there you know you, you can register it's only 49.95 to register by going to piratechristianradio.com on the top of the page it says conference click on that and you can register for yourself or anybody else to attend and we look forward to seeing you there moving along Time for a new apostolic reformation update. Same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. One is a genius, the other's insane. The laboratory mice, the genes have been sliced. The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. 
All right, so what we're going to be listening to, oh man, you think what you just heard was bizarre. Well, we're heading down to Glory of Zion out there in Texas. Uh, That's where the Apostle Chuck Pierce holds court. And we're going to be listening to a gentleman by the name of Robert Heidler. And Robert Heidler, along with many charismatics, apparently have rediscovered Christianity's Hebrew roots. And he's here to tell us and explain to us the prophetic significance of the Hebrew month of Tammuz. (laughs) Oh, man. Another example of the blind leading the blind. Here we go. To our first fruit celebration for Tammuz. Everybody say Tammuz. Tammuz is the fourth month of the Hebrew year. The year started in the month of Nisan. That was the time of the spring feasts. That's the time of Passover. It's the celebration that God redeemed his people through the blood of the Lamb. Second month was Iyar. After leaving Egypt, they made their way down to Sinai. That was in Iyar. It was a time of transition coming out of Egypt, and it was a time of great testing. The third month was Sivan. That's the month of Pentecost. They got down to Mount Sinai, and on Pentecost, God gave them Torah. He gave them revelation. We know God also chose Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 as the time to pour out His Holy Spirit. But now we've come to the fourth month, the month of Tammuz. Tammuz takes place in our calendar, usually starts in June and ends in July. Now, why is it important for us to understand Tammuz? Yeah, please explain. I mean, if this was important for us, don't you think the Bible would be explaining it? Here's the significance for you Christians to understand the Hebrew month of Tammuz. Well, in Hebrew thinking, every month is a new prophetic season. And the Bible says, yeah, where in the Bible does it say every month is a new prophetic season? I'd like to see the chapter and verse on that, please. God works in times and his seasons. Well, yeah, times and seasons. But again, where does it say that every month is a new prophetic season? You say Hebrew people think that way. The Bible doesn't teach us to think that way. And so to walk with God and stay in step with Holy Spirit, it's very important. For- Notice what he said, to stay in step with Holy Spirit. Notice he didn't say the Holy Spirit. We stay in step with Holy Spirit. That makes it sound like the Holy Spirit is like the force. You know, uh, it's some impersonal thing, an energy field that you tap into. No, it's the Holy Spirit. For us to understand the season that we're in. And so this morning we want to look at the month of Tammuz. So apparently he's given all of the, you know, reasons why we need to understand, you know, the month of Tammuz is so important. Why? Well, because, you know, Hebrew people believe. Which Hebrew people believe? Hebrew people believe that every month is a new prophetic season. Uh Uh-huh. The Bible doesn't say that. Oh, and because, you know, God works in, you know, uh, through times and seasons. So, you know... The month of Tammuz is like a time season thing, and so, you know, God works through those, you know. 
again, which passage of Scripture says that, and here is the prophetic significance of the month of Tammuz. You're not going to find a biblical passage that says this. You know, to the Jews, they believe Tammuz is a month to worship and to stay devoted. Isn't that interesting? Everything that's... Uh, no, that's not interesting at all. Which Jews are you talking about? The Jews that crucified Jesus? The Jews who deny that Jesus is the Messiah today? Why should we believe and listen to them? Morning was all about worship. It's a month to wait on the Lord and to choose to trust in Him. But it's also a month with a snare. See, if you're not... Uh-oh, 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 oh boy, yeah, see, we, we were just talking about the subtleties of, you know, that root of bitterness and, you know, how dangerous that can be. And now, the month of Tammuz has a snare in it. Oh, this is terrible. Well, we got to avoid that. Careful to worship and seek the Lord this month, you will be in danger of making a golden calf. No, no, no. No, he did not just say that. Hang on a second here. I have to back that up. That was crazy talk. Hang on a second here. Just backing up the tape just a little bit because I want you to hear it without me interrupting it. So did you know that the month of Tammuz, it has a snare? And if you don't be careful to worship the way you should, then you can be guilty of making a golden calf. A month with a snare. See, if you're not careful to worship and seek the Lord this month, you will be in danger of making a golden calf. I mean, that is just absurd. Why is anybody listening to this crackpot as if he's speaking the words of the Lord and teaching sound biblical doctrine when he's clearly not? See, Tammuz was the month that Israel built the golden calf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what month did they go into Jericho? Because, you know, that month would be the month I could conquer my Jericho, right? God had delivered Israel from Egypt by great signs and wonders. They were free. They got to the Red Sea, and at the Red Sea, God again demonstrated His power and His love for His people. They were leaving Egypt, but the Egyptians were chasing after them to try to take them captive again. And they got to the Red Sea, and there was no way across. So God told Moses, go, stand by the sea, and raise your staff. And when he did, the Red Sea parted, and Israel walked through on dry land. Yeah, he did. And what does this have to do with anything? Why should we think that this has some prophetic meaning for any month of the year or any Hebrew month of the year? Then God led them down to Sinai. Along the way, God allowed them to face testing to increase their faith. They faced test after test after test. Anybody ever go through testing? When God lets you go through testing, He wants to increase your faith for the future. And in each test, God was faithful and delivered them from danger. Where is this guy getting these assertions that he's making? I mean, he's not getting this from any biblical text. But they finally made it down to Sinai. And on Pentecost at Sinai, God came down and met with them. He spoke to them in an audible voice and gave them his Torah. But the people couldn't take it. They were terrified. So God called Moses up the mountain. 
And for 40 days, God gave Moses the Torah. He gave them the the teaching of God. But while Moses was having his mountaintop experience with God, Israel was left alone down in the wilderness. Yes, and they, it was the month of Tammuz. (gasps) And they did not like the wilderness. They were filled with fear. They did not like where they were. They had been dependent on Moses to lead them out. But Moses was gone. He had gone up the mountain. They hadn't seen him for over a month. And they wanted some reassurance. They did not like trusting an invisible God. They wanted something tangible to look to for protection. And so Aaron built the golden calf and the people worshipped it. And it was the month of Tammuz. And so this could happen to you during this month of Tammuz. You better be careful. Maybe we should call it Tammuz. Yeah, Tammuz. Yeah, for golden calf. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Do I need to go on? I think you get the point. Moving along. Yeah, that's right. Time for a Bill Johnson update. Bill Johnson of Bethel Redding fame. Do you know that he teaches that Jesus was born again? Yeah, in fact, we're going to pay attention to not only him saying that, but also what follows to kind of demonstrate and deconstruct how it is he twists God's word. Uh, Bill Johnson is not anywhere you want to go or any person you want to listen to to learn the Christian faith from. This man is a Bible twister, and some have likened him to a cult leader. And, yeah, I'm beginning to think that's closer to the truth. So let me go ahead and back off on our Bill Johnson update music. And without any further ado, here is Bill Johnson explaining to us how Jesus needed to be born again. Yeah, here we go. Today I have begotten you. The second psalm. You're my beloved son. Today I have begotten you. Acts 13 tells us that that phrase from the Father, today I have begotten you, is in reference to the resurrection. So he was born through Mary, the virgin, and then he was born again in resurrection. Okay, now we're going to have to test what he's saying. The Acts chapter 13, by the way, is uh, where we find recorded for us the uh, the preaching sermon, the evangelistic sermon of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he went to Pisidia of Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey, and at Pisidia of Antioch, he preached a sermon, you know, in the synagogue to let everybody know that Jesus is the Messiah. So we're going to test his claim, where he says, basically, uh, Bill Johnson is saying, in Psalm t- chapter 2, it says, you know, you are my son today, I've begotten you. And in Acts 13, we learn that that's reference to the resurrection. And therefore, uh, the resurrection is when, G- when God begot Jesus. There's some kind of logic like that. Well, let me read to you the sermon in context, because it is a fantastic sermon. I'm going to point out something along the way, too, here. So this is the Apostle Paul preaching to the people in the synagogue at Antioch of Pisidia, Starting in Acts chapter 13, verse 16, it says, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen, 
The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt, and with uplifted arm he led them out of it. And for about 40 years he put up with them in the wilderness, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took place about 450 years. After that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse a man after my heart, who will do all of my will. Of this man's offspring, of David's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. He, uh, no, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. And brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those of you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son today, I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says also in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Now, here's the idea, and this is the sneaky thing that Bill Johnson is doing. He's claiming that Psalm 2, where God says, you are my son today, I have begotten you, is in reference to the resurrection. It isn't. It's in reference to the fact that Jesus is the son of God. And so you'll notice that what um, that what Paul is doing here is talking about Jesus in a way that basically says, Jesus is the son of God. You are my son today. I've begotten you. And then he goes on and makes the point about, I will give you the sure blessings of David, how Jesus, the son of God, is the descendant of David, and then Acts 35, therefore he also says in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. That's Psalm 1610. So here, Bill Johnson is like not paying any attention at all to the development that Paul is giving to his argument and how he's using the psalms as he's proclaiming Christ to be the Son of God, the son of David, and that he was raised from the grave. Instead, he's just clumsily, and I mean this in the worst possible way you can mean it, clumsily just taking out the wrong tool and then beating with it. You know, it basically Psalm 2 is referring to the, is to the resurrection. No, it's not. That's wrong, and not even Paul is using it that way. And all you have to do is read Paul's argument in context, and you will see that he's using Psalm 2 to de basically declare Jesus to be the Son of God, and then he is using 
a different psalm. He's using, um, well, not even psalm. He's using Isaiah 55 verse 3 to talk about the fact that Jesus is the descendant of David. And then he uses Psalm 16, and this is cited in Acts 13.35, to show that Jesus is you know, was raised from the grave. So let me continue his argument, and I'll go back and I will read starting at verse 35. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers, and he saw corruption. But he whom God raised did not see corruption. So let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. Notice that Paul does not end with an altar call and has people raise their hand and close their eyes and pray the sinner's prayer. He instead gives a warning. Let not, you know, therefore beware lest what is written in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you would not believe even if one tells it to you. Yeah, fascinating to note that. But uh, again, what Bill Johnson has done here is it's actually criminal and that is is that he's not actually reading the text in context just makes a blanket statement and then he's going to go on to explain to us how jesus is actually born again listen in you're my beloved son today i have begotten you acts 13 tells us that that phrase from the father today i have begotten you is in reference to the resurrection yeah you can only make that claim if you're not reading the text in context and you're not paying attention to referent that's not correct So he was born through Mary, the virgin, and then he was born again in resurrection. (sighs) That's not what Paul was saying. The first one to touch him was Mary, the virgin, when he was born naturally. The first person to touch him when he was born again was Mary Magdalene. The Virgin Mary touched him in the law, and Mary Magdalene, the harlot, touched him in grace. And they're all sitting there going, whoa, this is all complete nonsense and is not exegesis. When he was raised from the dead, we have in verse 20, uh, excuse me, verse 11, it says, Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. As she, weep, as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. She t- saw two angels in white, sitting one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. In the Old Testament was the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was a box of wood that was overlaid with gold. Inside this box was the law, the Ten Commandments. There was a jar of manna. And there was an almond rod that was Aaron's that marked his place of authority. It's interesting. A lot of people wanted to be in charge, but God said, I'll show you who I choose. Each tribe took a branch, a dead almond branch, and put it in before the Lord. 
And the next day, one of the branches had sprouts, buds, blossoms, and ripe almonds, which is interesting to me. It was Aaron's. He was showing that Aaron is to be the high priest. And he marked... Now, that part's true. Watch what he does next. Aaron for leadership by bringing a dead branch to life, but not just with one stage of fruit bearing. But there was sprouts, buds, blossoms, and ripe almonds. See, the mark of a leader isn't that he is perfectly mature in every area. It's that he has life in every area. (laughs) I mean, seriously. I mean, he, he says something true, and then he gives his spiritualized interpretation, which turns out to be utter nonsense. Resurrection life is always the mark of godly leadership. Always in process. We are all, all of us, always in process, always developing. And in this Ark of the Covenant, this box that was overlaid with gold, there were two cherubim facing each other. And in between these two cherubim was what was called a mercy seat. And this Ark of the Covenant was also called Ark of the Testimony because this box contained the testimony of the Lord of the supernatural provision of manna, of the standard for life in the law, of his mark of leadership. There'd always be resurrection power on his leaders, his chosen leaders. And it was the testimony of the Lord. And this box that contained the testimony of the Lord, on top of it was a mercy seat. And every time you give a testimony of what Jesus has done for you, you usher the mercy seat of God into somebody's life. I think he's been to the Katie Sousa School of uh, Hermeneutics, something like that. Unbelievable. I mean, just utter gibberish. I mean, oh, and this is how this man operates on a daily basis and just, just horribly mangles God's word. He'll tell you, he'll somewhat correctly give you a summary of the story. Never reads it from a biblical text. Just somewhat kind of gives you a summary of it. Cliff Notes version, if you would. And then he just comes up with, and this is what this spiritually signifies. And the things he says, as far as, you know, what it spiritually signifies, ain't nobody taught no time in all of Christian history. And everyone's sitting there going, this is so profound. And they go, whoa. And, you know, wow. And, the whole thing is just utter nonsense, total nonsense. And if you just read text in context, you won't find any of these spiritually significant ideas that he comes up with. And uh, and then if you fact check and actually look at what the texts say, you'll find that he's not really exegeting them or even really ultimately giving us a proper understanding of even what they say. Beware of Bill Johnson is the best way I can put it. All right, we're up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we're going to be heading to Radiant Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Stay tuned. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. No itching ears are scratched here. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. 
Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. The internet and the countless technologies around us, such as smartphones, tablets, PCs, cameras, video games, have become quintessential parts of our daily lives. In fact, our broadcast might be streaming on your phone right now. Communication and access to information has advanced faster than our ability to manage it responsibly. Texting and email are but two small examples of how technology has provided the means necessary to communicate over long distances, while at the same time giving people the ability to hide behind shadowy anonymity. By its very nature, technology is a double-edged sword. It provides the immediacy we desire and need, yet it also provides gateways for isolation from proper supervision. As adults, we can govern our own actions and submit to others for accountability. Or not. But how good are we at modeling or overseeing technology in the hands of children? Do our children have more knowledge about technology than we do? Do we choose to trust our children with such powerful tools without any oversight? Many people nowadays are aware of the dangers of the internet, such as cyberbullying, sexting, predators, stalking, trolling, video game addiction, pornography, etc., etc. But simple awareness is rarely met with measures of protection, appropriate oversight, or engaging communication. Typically, parents are trusting and simply managing from crisis to crisis because they don't know where to start or what to do in the first place. The Parentum was created as a centralized destination to provide parents information on the available security tools for all internet-connected devices. We provide educational instructions on how to protect families from technological immersion and information on a host of potential life-altering risks born from the dangerous elements of the internet. The Parent Dome's mission is to empower parents to be actively aware and engage stewards of technology for their children. Technology advances daily, and those seeking to exploit it with the intent to cause harm maintains that same pace. At the Parent Dome, we continually update our website in order to properly address the changing needs of parents and families to better defend them against predatory exploits. Please visit us at www.parentdome.com for further information. Thank you. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. Like I said, we are going to a new church that we've never been to before. Radiant Church, Colorado Springs, Colorado. More details here in a second.
The good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via Radiant Church, Colorado Springs, Colorado. Pastor Kelly, female, presiding. The name of the sermon is Living a Life of Impact. Let's be a great example of taking God's Word and twisting it and not paying attention to the context in order to teach a doctrine that is not actually taught in the text when you read it in context. If that confused you, just stay with the sermon review. You'll get it as we go. In fact, let me go ahead and back off on the music, and we will go ahead and get started. So without any further ado, here is Kelly Hudnall and her sermon entitled Living a Life of Impact, Making Ripples. Here we go. Good morning. Morning. Let's do that again. No. Good morning. There. Yeah, this just makes me grumpy in the morning. I need coffee now. I tell you up front that I'm not a big movie fan unless they're good old classics or family friendly. I just haven't seen many modern day films or programs that promote high morals, character, honesty, and integrity. Uh-huh. And what biblical text are you preaching on? You, this is generally where you begin with a biblical text. Yeah, because the job of a pastor is to preach the Word. I, I mean, I figured they taught you that. Um, but see, the thing is, is that if you also are one who, you know, exegetically, exegetically rightly handles God's Word, then you understand that God's Word doesn't permit a woman to actually be a pastor. So this is not a good sign, you know, where you can basically say, we're, if we're going to start off with a female pastor, we already know that there's something wrong with how that woman is reading God's word automatically, because just due to the fact you have a female pastor in the pulpit or on the stage, <clears throat> you know, shows you that they don't rightly handle God's word to begin with. Otherwise, the woman wouldn't be there. That just goes without saying. There's a line I want to share with you today from a movie that came out about two decades ago, and I'm guessing that the majority of us in the room have seen that movie. So I want to share a line to start off with that movie because this is one I know all of you will remember. And as soon as you remember it, feel free to jump in with me and help me finish it. My mama always said that life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. What movie was it? Forrest Gump. But I think the best line from that movie was when Forrest asked a question. And some of you may or may not remember this line. But it's a very important question that every one of us must consider today and then revisit it throughout the rest of our lives. This is what Forrest asked. He said, do we just show up accidental-like and float around accidental like a feather on a breeze? Or do we have a destiny? That's a great question. And that's a question that I want us to ponder today. Why? Why are we here at this point in time and in history you know, it's funny that you would ask that question, because I know which biblical text you're going to try to go to, but the thing is, is that if you're going to ask this question, the place to go is really the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, 
vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, goes to the north, and around and around and around goes the wind. And on its circuit, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, so he's talking about the fact that, well, life seems, well, meaningless. But you would have to actually address what he's saying because where she's going to go is not like the book of Ecclesiastes, which ultimately will get to an answer of sorts. But noting the fact that, well, the same fate awaits everybody, the righteous and the unrighteous, and that's death. And, you know, how somebody who toils and labors and saves up money for himself dies and then who inherits his stuff? Yeah, so if you want to talk about destiny... You're going to have to wrestle with something significant like the book of Ecclesiastes and how it handles it, as opposed to what Pastor, Pastrix, uh, Kelly Hudnall is going to do. Why am I here? Why are you here? Is it coincidence? Did we just show up accidental-like to float around accidental, like a feather on a breeze? Or do we have a destiny? This weekend launches our Summer of Impact. Yeah, destiny, like, you know, eternal life in uh, God's new, new heavens, new earth, that kind of destiny. Here at Radiant Church. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about how we can make ripples that impact others for eternity. Ripples on water are interesting, and, and in a way, they mirror our lives. Because when something impacts the surface of water, it always creates ripples. Sometimes the impact is small, and it only creates a few ripples. Sometimes it's like a cannonball, a mighty splash that creates multiple rings of water ripples. And then other times, whatever the object is, impacts the surface of the water, breaks the surface of the water, and creates many ripples from that one spot. And in a similar way, each life makes an impact. Each life... So you're going to talk about the metaphor, ripples on a pond, and then say, oh, and each life is like, you know, ripples on a pond. Which biblical text are you finding this from? Ripples. Some big and some small. Some brief and others longer. Some good and some bad. Some intentional and some accidental. Because we were all created to make ripples. You were created. Yeah, which passage of scripture says we're all created to make ripples? To make ripples. Every life makes an impact of some kind. And more importantly, God has a divine plan for every life to make the greatest impact. And the most tragic thing that you could do is to miss out on what God has planned for you. Yeah, so the most tragic thing you can do is miss out on what God has planned for you. Notice, she's talking about temporally in this life. No, the most tragic thing that can happen to you is called the second death in Scripture. And that's when upon 
the day of judgment, after being judged, Christ has you thrown into the lake of fire. I think that's going to be, well, infinitely worse than, well, not discovering your dream destiny here uh, for this temporal life. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's masterpiece, and God has good things that he planned for you long ago. Yeah, she's reading from the message paraphrase. Notice she's reading Ephesians 2 verse 10 out of context. Oh, you are God's masterpiece from the message paraphrase. And oh, by the way, a good translation doesn't say that. Now, in order to understand what's going on in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, you need to first understand what's happening in verses 1 through 9. This is a buildup. It's kind of, it's in a sense, a chiastic argument on the part of the Apostle Paul, where he begins by describing what we were like when we were dead in trespasses and sins before we were Christians, how God raises us up to new life and that salvation is by grace through faith. And then we now walk in newness of light in the good life, in the good works that God has created for us. So the Ephesians 2.10 is mirrored in Ephesians 2.1 and 2. Uh-huh. Yeah, a chiastic argument is kind of bookended. So Ephesians 2, verse 10 is the bookend to Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2. Let me let me read to you so you kind of get what's going on. So we'll start with the beginning of Paul's argument, Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you, before you were Christians, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And that's the important word there. If you really want to dig into this passage, you have to come to grips with what's going on with the word walk. In Greek, it's peripateo, and this is a Hebraism. In Hebrew, we would talk about somebody who is, how they conduct their life would be their halach, their walk. And so Paul here is saying, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, right? And this is bookended in verse 10 that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared that we should walk, peripateo, walk in them. So you can't understand verse 10 apart from verses 1 and 2. So let me read it now uh, in, in context. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And this is how each and every one of us was conceived and came into the world, dead in trespasses and sins, and were by nature an object of God's wrath. This is because of Adam and Eve's sin, or Adam's sin that is imputed to us. Next verse, but God, that's a very important transition, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And God raised us up with him and God seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Now notice that in verse four, it says God being rich in mercy. God is the subject of the verbs in verse six, raised us up with and uh, and seated us up with. Those are your verbs. 
and uh, and uh, uh, by grace you have been saved, made us alive together also, the verb in verse 5. God made us alive together with Christ, verse 5. God raised us up with him, and God seated us up with him. God is the subject of all three of those verbs in those verses. And God, because of his rich mercy, is the one who made us alive, seated us with Christ, raised us up with him. This is all God's doing. And so then we get to verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Yeah, that's right. Your salvation doesn't come from you. Even faith itself is given as a gift by God. And, and this is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then verse 10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Then notice it says that we are his workmanship, and there are good works that God wants us to do, and that he's prepared for us to do, and that we should walk in them. It doesn't say you're a masterpiece, and this is not talking about a divine destiny. If you want to know then about the types of good works that God has prepared beforehand for you to do, you keep reading in the book of Ephesians, and you get to chapter 5, where it talks about wives submitting to your husbands, husbands loving your wives as Christ has loved the church, and uh, and then children obeying your parents, and uh, slaves obeying your masters, and masters being kind to your slaves. Those are the good works that God has prepared for us to do. That's the good works that he's referring to in verse 10, that we should walk in them. Not that we're to discover some dream destiny so that we make, may make ripples and change the world. Yeah, Kelly Hudnall here is twisting God's word by exegeting a paraphrase, the message paraphrase, out of context. Right. Since before you were even born. That's God's word for you today. These aren't just the words of some woman standing up here speaking to you through a microphone. That is the word of God from Ephesians 2.10. God looks No, it's God's word out of context from a bad paraphrase. And smiles and says, you are my masterpiece. Yeah, that's not nowhere in the Greek. Nowhere in the Greek does it say you are God's masterpiece. It doesn't say that. And I have good things, plans that that I have for your life that I have had long, long, long ago. And some of you, I know that's hard to believe. So I want to encourage you, if that's you today, if you're tempted to look around and and say, well, I can see how God can make an impact through Jenny Green or, or through Todd Hudnall or Jack Schultz or, you know, famous people we know. I see how God can make an impact through these other people, but I'm not so sure when it comes to me. If that's you, I want you to know that you are exactly the person that God inspired this message for today. So please listen carefully. So God inspired you to twist God's word, rip it out of context, and teach falsely? Really? And if that's you, I want to encourage you to do something so simple. I I want to encourage you to go to your computer computer today and print out those words from Ephesians 2.10. But... Specifically, you are God's masterpiece. Just type those words out, blow them up in like 22-point font, and cut it out, paste it on the mirror that you look into every morning when you get up in the morning, so that when you first get out of bed and look in that mirror, no matter how pretty or how ugly you may look when you get out of bed in the morning, for me, it is not a pretty sight. Yeah, this isn't narcissistic at all, is it? But I want you to know 
that the truth from God's word is you are his masterpiece. And he has created you on purpose with a divine purpose. It says in Ephesians Now, 1, this is important. I want to point this out again. Ephesians 1 and 2 makes it clear that we were born dead in trespasses and sins and that God, being rich in mercy, has raised us from the dead, made us alive together with Christ. So when it says we are his workmanship, okay, created in Christ Jesus for good works, this isn't saying that we are God's masterpiece by creation or by birth. We are God's workmanship as a result of God raising us from the dead who were born dead in trespasses and sins. Very important difference. And she's not making this distinction. And of course she's not because she's not reading it in context. And verses four through six, long before God laid earth's, earth's foundations, he had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. Yeah, again, she's reading from the twisted and mangled so-called translation, which is really a bad, I mean, really bad paraphrase called the message. No pastor should ever be preaching from this so-called Bible. God loves you. And long, long ago, before he ever created the heavens and the earth, before he created the Rocky Mountains and the vast oceans, before he created any of those things, he had you in mind. And he settled all the way back then. He decided to settle his love upon you, to focus his love upon you. And he made beautiful plans for your life, plans to bless you, plans to use you to be a blessing And I want to plead with you today to believe that, to receive that, and and to go to God and say, God, I don't want to miss out on your plan for my life. Because you may have plans for your own life, and I know— Oh, I don't want to miss out on your plan for my life. What about penitent faith in Christ with the forgiveness of sins and being made alive by God, by grace through faith? All of us here, we have plans. Some of us have big plans. Some of us, our plans aren't so big. But regardless of what your plans are for your life, I guarantee you, compared to what God's plans are for your life, your plans stink. Amen? So I plead with you, scrap your plans and exchange your plans for his, and you will never regret it. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know my plans for you, says the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 11, out of context, you're reading somebody's mail, and that is not a general promise to Christians or all believers. That is a specific promise and assurance and comfort given to the exiles of Israel who had been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and marched to Babylon. Go read Jeremiah twenty three eleven in context. And they are plans for good and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Twenty-six years ago, I heard those words at a For Him concert. I was a brand new uh, Christian, baby Christian, and I went to this concert. I think it was probably the first Christian concert that I attended as a brand new Christian. And I will never forget the impact that those words made on my life. When the lead singer took the mic and he quoted Jeremiah 29, 11, and I heard them for the first time, they pierced my soul and captured my heart. And I remember sitting there thinking, wow, God has a plan for my life. 
I better find out what it is because I don't want to miss it. And I hope that that's your heart. I hope that that's your passion. And if you've been a Christian for some time and you say, you know, Kelly, at one time that was my passion, but, you know, life just kind of takes its toll on you and you lose your passion, you lose your dreams, I pray that today God would revive that passion in you once again. That you would know he loves you, you are his masterpiece, and he has a divine plan, a divine purpose for your life, and you don't want to miss it. So how do we do this? How do we make ripples that will impact others and reach into eternity? Number one is stop living carelessly. The first thing we have to do is stop living carelessly. Stop being double-minded. Stop being wishy-washy. This is exactly what was happening in Joshua 24 when God got ticked off with his people. And we see this cycle, this pattern throughout the scripture where God's people will serve him wholeheartedly for a while. And then they. So the best she's got is the law. So let me kind of point out the problem. If you understand God's law correctly, then you understand the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law, by the way, is stated very clearly. In Romans chapter 3. In Romans chapter 3, we learn what the law is for. And here's what it says. Romans chapter 3, starting at verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be declared righteous in God's sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So, so here's the idea. Is, is that she's you, you need to stop doing this, that, or the other thing. You need to dart, start doing this. So she's preaching the law, but notice she's preaching the law as a solution to a problem. So what's the problem? Oh, well, you're, you're purposeless. You haven't discovered your dream destiny. So how are you going to discover your dream destiny? Well, the reason why you haven't discovered your dream destiny, by the way, that would be, well, by definition, a result of sin, right? If it weren't for sin, we'd all know what our destiny is all by ourselves. You know, we it just we, we there would be no question about it. But since you don't, well, now now you've got to learn your, what your destiny is. You don't want to miss what God has planned for you, so you'd better start doing this. That's law, and she's using the law as the solution. If the law is, it shows you what the problem is, and if you then use the law as the the solution to the problem, that's law upon law. Yeah, this this is the formula for absolute despair. Yeah, the law is not the solution to our problem. The gospel is, which means she's not really handling God's law properly, nor is she teaching the law. Begin to waver, and they begin to turn from God's ways and kind of do their own thing. And that's what was happening in Joshua 24, where the people had one foot in God's kingdom and one foot in the world's kingdom, and they were wishy-washy. They were double-minded. And they were saying, yes, we're the people of God. We worship the God Jehovah but we also practice the pagan ways of our culture. We, we also worship the pagan idols. But, but we're gods. We're Jehovah's. And, and God said, uh-uh. I, I, won't, I won't put up with this. Because God's not okay with double-minded people. And double-minded people... Ne- this is true. God is not okay with double-minded people. That is a... Yeah, that's a sin. And he's not okay with idolatry, which is what's going on in the, the tail end of the book of Joshua. Not okay with that at all. Yep, so she's right. So she's preaching law here. Will she get to a crucified and risen Savior? Well, let's see. 
ever fulfill God's divine destiny for their lives. Fulfill God's divine destiny for their lives. Yeah, Joshua is, is not about that. God sent poor Joshua in. Don't you feel sorry for guys like Joshua and Jeremiah, whom God would have to send them in to bring his people back into alignment? How would you like to have that job of confronting and rebuking and telling them, hey, God's ticked off. He does not like. That's the job of every pastor. Read Titus chapter 1. The job of pastors is to reprove, rebuke, exhort. Teach what's according with sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. That's actually part of the pastor's duties. Any bat pastor who is a real pastor does not approve of what you're doing. And that's exactly what happened. So he sent Joshua in, and this is what he said in verse 14. Now He said, now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. One translation says, serve him wholeheartedly. Because God is not okay with double-mindedness. And put away the gods your fathers served and serve the Lord. And then in verse 15, he went on to say, Now, if serving the Lord is too difficult for you, and one translation says, If serving the Lord seems evil to you, choose you this day whom you will serve. And then Joshua said, But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Listen, we're living in a day that Jesus prophesied. He told us this day was coming. He said the day is coming when good will be called evil and evil will be called good. He said the days come like having a female pastor. That's evil because God's word forbids it. And yet there are people who say that's good, right? When when people will look at God's word and God's way and they'll they'll say that's evil. That's wicked. That's wrong. And then they'll look at ways that are contrary to God, and they'll say, that's good. That's right. And we're living in that day. And God is... Yeah, and the irony is, is that God's word forbids women from being pastors, and yet she's saying this. Boy, talk about missing the forest because of a tree. Us today and confronting us today, his people called by his name, just like he was in Joshua 24. And he's saying, Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Now, if serving the Lord seems evil to you, that's your choice, but make your choice. Make up your mind. Stop living double minded lives. Choose today to serve him and to serve him wholeheartedly. So that you will discover his divine purpose for your life. Which is weird because, again, if she would choose to not be double-minded, she'd have to step down from the pulpit this instance. Fill his divine destiny. This is critical. That as followers of Jesus Christ, we stop everything that would keep us from discovering and fulfilling God's amazing purpose for our lives. It says in Ephesians 5.17, don't live carelessly or unthinkingly. Make sure you understand what the master wants. Because every life makes ripples, some more than others, but we all live lives that impact others for good or for bad. And today, I believe God is asking every one of us to consider what impact is your life making on others? What impact? Do I go to hell if it's not having a good impact? Is this the kind kind of thing that Jesus will judge on the last day and say, oh, you're going to hell because you didn't make enough ripples? Your life make, even beyond this life, even after you've gone. 
We can all think of famous people whose lives have impacted millions. People like George Washington and Abe Lincoln. One of Do my- they go to heaven automatically because their lives had big impacts? Favorites is William Wilberforce. He is one of my heroes. Uh, John and Susanna Wesley, Billy Graham, and, and his son Franklin. Boy, he did a good job. He made a great impact on that boy, didn't he? And we think of these famous people, but we've all also been impacted by people in our personal lives. In bad ways and in good ways. But think about some of those people who've impacted you. Maybe a parent, a coach, a pastor, a teacher, a neighbor, a friend. But in order to ensure that you live a life that impacts others for good, you have to be intentional. It doesn't happen. You have to. You have to. Law, 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 law. Not even biblical law. This is just, you. if you wanted your destiny, then you got to do this. This isn't even biblical law. It's a dental-like. Many of you have heard me share um, this story in Starting Point, but every time I share this story, it makes ripples in the hearts of others. And this is a story that proved to be a defining moment in my life 20-some years ago, and it continues to impact me and challenge me on a regular basis. So I'm going to share it again today. When I was 23, Todd and I married and moved to East Texas, to pastor a small church in the Piney Woods. And uh, shortly into our pastorate, we ended up attending the funeral service of a man whom we had personally... Shortly into our pastorate. ...never met. But the reason we attended his funeral was because his son was a member of our church. So we went to comfort his son, and he told us that his dad was a Christian, and his dad's pastor actually performed the funeral service. So... We went to the service, and I'm the kind of person that um, I actually enjoy attending the funeral services of Christians and being able to hear how their life has made ripples and how their life has impacted others beyond this life and the impact that it continues to make. So I'm sitting there waiting to hear about this man's legacy. So what kind of impact do you think she's having by disobeying God's word and being a pastor and then twisting God's word and teaching it from bad paraphrases and preaching lots of law to boot? So his pastor gets up, and remember, we're in the Piney Woods of East Texas, and he says... You know, old me and old Joe go back a lot of years. We've done a lot of hunting and a lot of fishing together. And a lot, a lot of times we'd get up and we'd sit in his kitchen and drink coffee and watch the sun come up and the deer come up. And Okay, so knowing the passionate person I am, I'm sitting there going, come on, I want to get to the good stuff. I want to hear the good stuff. I want to hear about how his life made an impact. And he continued on and on. And then finally he said, and one thing you got to say about old Joe is he sure loved his money. That was the most significant thing that he'd said about this man up to that point. And I was shocked. I was mortified. And I thought, okay, surely there's more. That's just uh, something peripheral, and he's going to say something significant as he goes on. So he continued, and he talked about how old Joe was sick for a long time, and I spent a lot of time in the hospital talking to friends and family members, heard a lot of stories about old Joe, and and one thing you got to say about old Joe is he sure loved his money. Guys, that was the most significant point that was brought up about that man's life. 
And although I had never met old Joe. Wouldn't that be indicative of the fact that money was his idol and he needed to repent? I wept profusely at his funeral service. I could not believe how pitiful and how tragic this man's life had, had amounted to. And I remember that day sitting there sickened and grieved. I remember sitting there and saying to the Lord, God, I commit to live the rest of my days compelling and challenging your people to be passionate followers of Jesus Christ so that history does not repeat itself. I want you to really consider this today. This is huge for every single one of us in this room. And I want to ask you the question, if you were to die today, what would people say about you at your funeral service? Don't you think the more important question is when you die, what's Jesus going to say about you on the day of judgment? Call me old-fashioned, but I think repentance, forgiveness of sins, eternal life, or hell kind of are more important, don't you? What kind of ripples are you making in the lives of the people closest to you and in your life? What impact are you making on others today? And what would they say about you? Because here's the awesome and amazing thing. Even if you would sit here today and become depressed over what people might say about you, you can change that today. You can choose today to stop living carelessly, to stop living. This is like the story of Scrooge from, you know, A Christmas Carol. It's not the gospel. This is something different than the gospel. Without focus, without purpose, without God's divine destiny as your goal. You can stop today and you can turn to God and go his way and he will make something beautiful out of your life. He'll make amazing ripples out of your life and he'll make an impact through you that will reach into each. Yeah, this is not the good news. This is a different good news altogether. The good news is that Christ died for our sins and rose again on the third day for our justification. Well, I don't know what, oh, the good news is you can have a destiny. God, will, you can change the way people are going to talk about you after you died. Uh, yeah. Um, the one person I'm concerned about how he's going to talk about me after I die is Jesus. Be far beyond your life here on this earth. So I plead with you today to consider that. And if you're sitting here and you say, you know, I honestly don't know what people would say about me. Why don't you ask them? Ask the people closest to you and ask them today while there's still time for you to make the necessary changes. Ask them what they would say you most love and devote your life to. Do that today before it's too late because God has an amazing plan for your life. God, the divine ripple maker. Do that because God has an amazing plan for your life. Again, this isn't the gospel, and this I, this is not law and gospel, sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. This is, God has a wonderful plan for your life. That's not the gospel. Parted the waters of the Red Sea. Now that's some mega ripple making. Amen. The divine ripple maker has a beautiful divine destiny for your life. And he is calling you today to wake up. To stop living carelessly. Make up your mind. Yeah, see, the thing is, is that if they've been living carelessly and they need to be woken up, they need to repent and they need to be forgiven. Are you going to get to the gospel, Kelly? 
You're going to go after God wholeheartedly. You're going to live out your divine destiny and make an impact. Because law, law, more law, just pile it on, law. Yeah, this is, again, a formula for despair. People need to hear the gospel if they've fallen short of what God's standard is. Folks, you have one life, and you have one chance to make the right impact. So choose today what your impact will be. Number two, look to God. Look to God and God alone to find your purpose. Don't, don't look to the world and the culture and your peers or, or anything else to discover your divine destiny. You won't find it. Look to God, the destiny maker. Look to him to find your purpose. If you look anywhere else, you will only... God, the destiny maker. Really? Find, in the end, disappointment and discouragement and, at best, temporal satisfaction. You remember that sermon I read from the Apostle Paul at Antioch of Pisidia? Notice he didn't say anything about finding your divine destiny. He preached Christ and said, in him is the forgiveness of sins. What is this woman preaching? And, and here's the deal. Apart from God, people can do nice things. Apart from God, you can do benevolent things, generous things that impact others in the moment. But at best, apart from God, they're all only temporal. But when you submit to God and his plan, then your life, your impact reaches into eternity. He said in Jeremiah 29, 11, I know my plans for you. And, and he said in Ephesians, I, I planned these things long ago. I had you in mind and your purpose in mind before I even laid the foundations of the earth. Yeah, uh, if that was really what God's word teaches, why did you rip those passages out of context and preach them from the message? Hmm? And then he said in Jeremiah 29, verse 12, he said, call on me. Come to me. Pray to me, and I will listen to you. And in verse 13, he said, you will... Yeah, why don't you read it in context, and you'll see that it's a letter written to the exiles in Babylon. And there's all kinds of details in there, like, you know, you know, give your sons and daughters in marriage, pray for the nation where I'm sending you, don't listen to the false prophets who are filling your heads with nonsense, I will rescue you again after the allotted time of 70 years... In the meantime, you know, I'm with you. Be comforted by that. But uh, you ain't coming back until 70 years are complete. Yeah, read it in context. You just keep cherry-picking verses and, well, ignoring the other ones. This is no way to handle God's Word. Seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. There it is again. Yeah, you're just picking the law passages out again. Said so no double-minded stuff. Double-minded people won't make the right impact. He said, but when you seek me with all your heart, then you will find me. You will discover God's destiny for your life. And even beyond that, you'll discover... Yeah, Jeremiah 29 does not say anything about discovering God's divine destiny for your life. You are badly butchering God's word. Intimate fellowship with the divine destiny maker. So look to God and God alone. You guys, listen to me here. I think, in my opinion, the most dangerous people on the earth are people who call themselves Christians, but they're double-minded. You know what that's called? It starts with an H, a hypocrite. And God's not good with that. He wasn't in Joshua's day, and he's not in our day. 
He says, make up your mind. Be the real deal. Be a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Because there's nothing more confusing than someone who calls himself or herself a Christian, but rejects God's word and God's ways. God's Again, the irony here is that God's word forbids women from being pastors. And she talks about hypocrites, most dangerous, you know, in talking about rejecting God's word. That's what she's done to make herself a pastor. His people to come back, to come back to him, to look to him, to find their purpose, to look to him, to find truth. Listen, verses like 2 Timothy 4 uh, keep me up at night. They keep me up at night pleading with God to give me the grace and the strength to stand firm to the end. Listen to what this says. It says in verse 1, I charge you, there, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Now, Like I said, these verses keep me up at night because what he's saying here is this is a big, big deal. He's saying, I'm not charging you before men or or any governmental systems here on this earth. He said, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead. You had better preach the word and preach the word only. And in verse 13, he goes on to say, or I'm sorry, verse 2, be ready in season and out of season. And listen to this. He said, convince, rebuke, exhort with all teaching and long suffering. For the time will come when people will no longer endure sound doctrine. How many of you know we're in that time? But according to their own desires... Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for them teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables or to lies. Guys, Right, like the lie that women can be pastors. First uh, Timothy chapter 2, pastoral epistle, by the way, verse 11. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Yeah, the uh, the qualifications for someone to be in a church, husband of one wife, right? He's to be a father, not a mother. First Corinthians 14, women should keep silent in the churches. They are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. So again, it's weird to me that we're hearing this woman lecturing her church about the importance of preaching the word and warning them about lies and myths and fables, and yet right before their eyes is a living lie, a living fable, a woman pastor. There is no such thing. We are living in that time, and that's why God is speaking to the church today, and he's saying, choose whom you will serve. If you think it's evil to serve the Lord, that's your choice, but choose. Are you going to choose? Clearly, she thinks it's evil to have only men as pastors. She's made her choice. God's word is clear on this. And if we choose, to, if we choose him, then we are choosing his word and his ways. And that means when we disagree with God's word, it's God who's right and we who are wrong. That's right. So repent and step down. You're not a pastor, Kelly. Only men are to be pastors. God's word is painfully clear about this.
not the other way around. If you want to make a divine impact, if you want to fulfill God's glorious purpose for your life, you have to make up your mind. Yeah, um, by the way, fulfilling God's glorious purpose for your life is not a biblical doctrine, nor is this the gospel. She's twisting God's word, proving again she should not be a pastor, a teacher, or anything of an authority in a church that belongs to Jesus Christ. Stop living carelessly, carelessly and choose to look to God for his purpose, his truth. And number three, listen to the Holy Spirit's promptings. It says in Ephesians 5, 11 through 16, don't waste your time on useless work and mere busy work or the barren pursuits of darkness. Expose these things for the sham that they are. It's a scandal when people waste their lives on things they must do in darkness where no one will see. Rip the cover off those frauds and see how attractive they look in the light of Jesus Christ. Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your car. Again, preaching from the message, and this is not what this text says. Christ will show you the light. Watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get because these are desperate times. That's from the Message Bible. Many of us, or possibly most of us, are so consumed with... Yeah, and that text doesn't say anything about listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Weird, huh? Our own busy work and our barren pursuits that the Holy Spirit would have to hit us over the head with a two-by-four to get our attention. And isn't that true? Admit it, it's true. And that typically is not how the Holy Spirit operates. The Holy Spirit is powerful, and He's also gentle and kind. He typically will not butt into your life and overpower you and force you to do his will against your will. So this requires that we have to make time to listen to him. It means you and I, we have to want to hear his voice. We have to want to hear his whispers. We have to ask him to speak to us, to lead us. And this is a very important one. So she's teaching divine direct revelation on top of all of this, and she's twisted Ephesians 5 to supposedly make it teach this. What she's saying is patently false. This is not true. She's teaching false doctrine throughout this entire sermon while warning people against those who would twist God's word. Bizarre. Uh, them blind leading the blind. Clear example of it again. Hear me. We need to be asking daily, asking the Holy Spirit to convict us. To convict us when we're wrong or we're going in the wrong direction. If we're going to live passionately for God instead of carelessly and double-minded, we have got to ask the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to us when we're going the wrong way. You have to want that. And, and here's why it's important. You have to. You have to. You have to. All law. We have not heard the gospel yet, like at all. Have the Holy Spirit's leadership and that we listen to his promptings. First of all, God didn't call you to be anyone's savior. There's only one savior and his name is Jesus Christ. And you are only one person with a limited amount of time and resources, so you can't possibly meet every need you see on your own. You can't do everything. And, and there's somebody here, you need to hear this today, because you need to be set free from unnecessary guilt and condemnation. You can't do everything. 
And if you don't acknowledge that, you'll carry around loads of guilt and condemnation for not meeting the needs of the people around you all the time. How many of you have ever dealt with that? How many of you, you go to bed at night feeling guilty and condemned because you couldn't meet all the needs of the people in your life? (laughs) Well, guess what? God has set you free. He has liberated you from that. You're not their savior. He is. And that's why it's important we make time to sit at his feet, spending time in his word, listening for his instructions, listening for the still small voice of the Holy Spirit prompting us. And sh- Again, these, it might sound biblical, still small voice. Nowhere in scripture are Christians told to listen to a still small voice. Just because the prophet Elijah heard a still small voice does not mean that that's some kind of normative thing that we're supposed to be experiencing in our lives. Again, another Bible twist us what it is he's called us to do. Because when you choose to be a person sensitive to and led by the Holy Spirit, then you are suddenly supernaturally empowered by God to make a God-sized impact. Yeah, again, false doctrine here. And if she was truly sensitive to uh, the promptings of the Holy Spirit, then she'd be hearing the Holy Spirit saying, you're not to be a pastor. I forbid this in my written word. You're being disobedient. You need to repent and to be forgiven and step down. That's what he, she'd hear God telling her. Types of others. And I have a couple of personal stories to share with you to show you how this works in our lives in a practical way. Because most of us will never be famous like a Washington, a Lincoln, a Wilberforce. But God planned long, long ago to impact people through you. And that is just as important and just as significant in God's plan as his plan and his purpose for these famous ripple makers. One testimony I heard about just happened recently through one of our church members. I was told a few months ago that Kelly Severance was ushering on a Saturday night and she was ushering at one of the doors here into the worship center. And she said that she just felt this prompting to move to another location in the building. And she said she didn't know why, but she did it. She followed that prompting of the Holy Spirit. And when she moved to another part of the building, she saw the reason why. There was a young woman standing there, and she said she looked frightened. She looked like she needed someone to to come and talk to her. And uh, come to find out, the woman was, was broken and hurting, scared and hopeless, She didn't know where to turn, so she looked up Radiant Church, and she walked through the doors of Radiant Church for the very first time that night. And she said that once she got in the church, she immediately felt panic grip her heart, and she felt this strong urge to run and to leave. But then a nice lady named Kelly approached her and reached out to her, began to talk to her, and and made her feel a little more comfortable and at ease. And in the course of their conversation, Kelly told her about the Break Free Project that had just begun. And she encouraged her to go through that, so she did. She went through the entire Break Free Project and through the Encounter Weekend. And at the end of the Encounter Weekend, she prayed to receive Jesus Christ as her Lord and her Savior. Yes, go ahead and give God praise. Because Kelly was sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and allowed the Holy Spirit to use her to reach out to that young woman, her eternal destiny was changed. And because of that impact in her life, now her life will impact others who will impact others who will impact others. This is so important, guys. This is so important that we get this. 
and that we live this out, that we live out God's divine purpose for every one of our lives because God wants to make holy ripples through your life every day. So ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. Ask Him to speak to you and to, to show you His plans for you. Recently, a lady from Texas emailed me, and I had forgotten about this until she reminded me. But she said, Kelly, I want to tell you about how a pair of shoes changed my daughter's life. And it just so happens that they... Isn't it sad that she's telling these anecdotal life stories, and she's getting them accurately told, but she hasn't accurately handled a single biblical text? A pair of my shoes. But here's what happened. Rose said that uh, this was several years ago, and Todd and I were pastoring in Texas, and uh, she was a young African-American single mom with a 13-year-old daughter struggling to make it. And she said her daughter was dealing with a lot of emotional issues, self-image issues, and she said it was just a hard time in their lives. And she had a friend at work named Beth, and Beth began to make ripples. Beth began inviting her to church. And she invited her and invited her and invited her. And Rose said she kept turning her down. And then finally, I think she did it just to get Beth off of her back. She decided to come to church. And she said, I was anxious because I knew it was a big church. And she said, but we came. And she said, we were blown away by how warm and friendly the people were. And she said, even you and Pastor Todd were nice. And I thought, do people think pastors are mean? Is that what people think? But she said that that she was so shocked at how nice the people were. Listen, guys, don't underestimate the power of niceness. Don't underestimate the power of the impact of stepping out of your comfort zone and just being friendly, just being warm and welcoming to another person. Because of that, they came back the next Sunday. And Rose said, I was blown away when she said, you came to Ashley and I, out of all the crowds of people, you came and talked to us. And she said, she said, I don't know if you'll remember this, but Ashley really liked your shoes. And I kind of, I'm a shoe girl. I like shoes. How many of you are shoe girls? (laughs) And uh, I had these new, brand new shoes and they were really cute. And I remember Ashley commented on them twice. And the second time she commented on them, it was like I heard this whisper in my heart, give her the shoes. And I said, Ashley, what size do you wear? And I was really shocked that her feet were as big as mine. I have really big feet. And uh, so I bent down and I took off the shoes and I gave them to her. And her mom said, Kelly, that changed that young girl's life. She said, that was the day that God began a deep work in her. That's the day that Ashley began turning to the divine destiny maker. And she became a follower, a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And then Rose listed all of the amazing accomplishments in that little girl who's now a young woman. All the accomplishments in her life because of a pair of shoes. Now, I'm not sharing that so that you'll go, wow, you're awesome, Kelly. When, when I read the email to Todd and the kids a couple weeks ago, Faith, our nine-year-old daughter, her eyes got really big, and she said, You're awesome, Mom. And I said, Faith, we lived in a parsonage next door to the church. It wasn't a big deal. <laughs> I didn't. She said, You had to walk barefoot all the way home. It was just a few steps. It wasn't a big deal. Uh, but I'm sharing this to show you how simple it is if you'll choose to ask him. Ask him to lead you. And then be sensitive. 
that when he gives you those little promptings, obey them because it can change a person's eternal destiny. Now, most of us may never hear about how our simple acts of obedience to the Holy Spirit impacted lives for eternity. But one day, if you make that choice to serve him wholeheartedly and to listen to him, to follow him, one day you are going to stand before the throne of God and you will hear him say, well done. Yeah, the only people who are going to hear that are those who've been brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. You're making it sound like they're going to hear those words because of something they did. In other words, something they did to earn God saying that to them. Yeah, total confusion of law and gospel. Beyond the pale at this point. Total confusion to the point of making it sound like our eternal destinies are based upon something that we do. We earn and faithful servant your life made amazing ripples and I don't know about you today but that's more than enough for me that's all I want to hear I want to be able to stand before my God the one who died for me the one who died in my place so that I could be free I want to be able to stand before him one day. Yeah, let's get a little bit more detail. Uh, What do you mean he died for you so that you can be free? We need a lot more detail. That's called the gospel, and you've been preaching nothing but the law, and you make just a mention of the gospel? And hear him say, well done, Kelly. Your life made amazing ripples. Man, this is awful. And I hope that's your heart as well. Jesus said in Acts 1-8, When he's talking about the who. You know, we've talked about why. We've talked about how. Let's talk about who. Who are the people in your life that God's called you to impact? And you have a list there of the different circles of people in your life that God wants you to impact. And I want to ask you to take some time this week, over the next few days, to pray and ask the divine ripple maker to show you who the people are in each one of those circles. Show you the people that he has planned long ago that he wants you to impact. And write them down and begin to pray and say, God, show me. Show me how to make ripples in this person's life. Show me how to impact my children, my grandchildren, my family members, my neighbors, my co-workers, and even to the ends of the earth. He said in Acts 1-8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Essentially what Jesus was saying there is when the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will make ripples. You will make ripples to your Jerusalem, the people closest to you, and even beyond them, to your neighbors, your community. Yeah, no, he wasn't saying you were going to make ripples. Make disciples, not ripples. There's a difference, and I don't have a Jerusalem, except for the one that's, you know, in Israel. And to the ends of the earth, will you choose that divine destiny today? Will you choose to stop living carelessly, to look to God and to listen to his plan for your life? Because that's what he's calling you to do today. But as we close, I want to talk about a specific group of people within your inner circle, within your Jerusalem. And I want to, that's members of your church family and a certain segment of members in, in your church family. Because last Sunday morning, God gave me a dream. God often speaks to me through dreams. 
And there's no doubt. Oh, and so now she's like uh, part of the Prophetic Holy Orders Network Information Exchange Syndicate. Oh, she gets direct revelation from God. Oh, please, I'm sure she's going to exegete this flawlessly. But God's word, the written word, yeah, not even close. Mind that he gave me this dream for his church right now. In the dream, I had been sharing my faith in Jesus Christ with other people. And, and uh, this group of people came to me and threatened me and told me that if I did not keep silent, they would put me in prison. And I said, I'll never be silent about my Jesus. And so they put me in prison. And then they gave me an opportunity to denounce my faith in Jesus Christ. And they said, if you don't... You haven't been preaching about Jesus this sermon. I, clearly, they already won. We will take you to the whipping post, and you will be beaten brutally. And uh, if that doesn't kill you, you, you will be facing possible execution. And again, I said, I will never be silent about Jesus, and I will never denounce my faith in him. So this big, mean, ugly guy in my dream bound my wrists together with ropes, and then he took uh, another rope and bound my arms to my body tightly to where the rope was cutting into my skin. And then he violently drugged me to the whipping post. And on the way to the whipping post, I was praying for God's grace and his strength so that I would stand firm to the end and I would not waver. And as he's dragging me there, we went, walked by, he drugged me past a table of people from Radiant Church. Now, our dream's interesting. So there's this table of people from Radiant, and some of them were members of our staff. And, uh... So I'm being drugged by, bound, and they were having a meeting. They were discussing church business and, and ministry issues, and they looked up at me and asked me a question about church issues, church ministry, and I was astonished, and, and I said, what? Don't you see what's happening here? I'm bound, I'm being drugged to the whipping post, they're going to brutally beat me and, and possibly kill me for my faith, and you're asking me questions about church business? Yeah, and she's making sure to get every detail of the dream right, but she's twisted every written biblical text. Wow. I remember one person looked at me with a blank stare and then turned back to the table and they all resumed their conversation and ignored me. And then I was drugged to the the whipping post and beaten, but God's grace was sufficient. I could feel the pain of the lashes, but it was as if God was withholding, supernaturally withholding the full force of the blows, which to me spoke again of what I'd heard, I've heard for years and years of other people who have suffered persecution, that God's grace is sufficient even in the worst persecution. So I woke up from the dream, and it was Sunday morning, and I had to get here for the early service, so I started getting ready, but I was troubled by that dream. And, and I was hurt. Do any of you experience that? You'll have a bad dream about friends or family members. They were mean to you or something. And you're really hurt. There, there was one time when I woke up from a dream and I was so hurt by the way Todd treated me in my dream. And he was going, Kelly, it was a dream. I didn't really do that. But it was one of those moments. And, and I was really hurt and troubled that I was, I was being brutally persecuted for my faith and my church family didn't even care. I was thinking they were, they were so consumed with, with church ministry and programming and agendas that they didn't even care. And as I was pondering that, the Holy Spirit whispered so clearly in my spirit. And he said, that's what you do. 
I was in my closet at that point, and I fell to my knees. Weak. So everybody here is hanging on every word that apparently came via this dream to her, via direct revelation. Uh huh. Because I knew it was true. And he began to deal with my heart and show me that, Kelly, you're so wrapped up in Radiant Church and the ministries and the busyness of your life and your schedules. And he said, your brothers and sisters in Christ are being brutally beaten and suffering. They're they're being tortured and persecuted, executed for their faith. And you're so consumed with your own stuff that you don't even care. And so that day I wept and I repented. I asked God to forgive me. And every day since I have been crying out in intercession and prayer for our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. And would you believe the next day I received an email about Miriam Ibrahim. How many of you know about Miriam? Look at that. Look around. Almost no one. This is a 27-year-old Christian woman. She's a doctor. And right now, she's eight months pregnant, and she is shackled and in prison in an Islamic Sudanese prison cell. And her 20-month-old child is there with her in the prison. They have threatened her that if she does not denounce her faith in Jesus Christ, that once the baby is born, they will brutally beat her with 100 lashes. And if that doesn't kill her, she'll be executed by hanging. And her crime is believing in Jesus Christ. Guys, this should outrage us. This should break our hearts and drive us to our knees in crying out to God for her grace, for for his grace upon her life and her husband's life and her children. I want to plead with you to join with me in praying for Miriam and her children and her husband who is pleading for her release. Will you do that? Will you commit together with me to to pray for the persecuted church in America today? And listen, go to the ACLJ website, the American Center for Law and Justice, and you can sign a petition there where pleading with the governments around the world to come together and see that this woman and her babies are released from this demonic Islamic Sudanese prison cell. Now, there's another pastor. I was up in the middle of the night weeping and crying out to God for Saeed Abatini and his family. Saeed is actually an American citizen, and he's a Christian pastor. And he has been imprisoned in another Islamic prison cell. Tell me Islam is peaceful. (laughs) He's been there for two years while his wife and his children beg for mercy that they would release him. They have brutally beaten him multiple times. Pray for Saeed. Pray for the persecuted church. I just watched a video of 300 young Christian girls that were kidnapped by, by Islamic terrorists. And they were forced to convert to Islam. Guys, that's what's happening in our world while we're all busy about our business here in America. It's time for the church to wake up and realize our purpose. And it's time for us to wake up and realize that part of making ripples that reach into eternity is caring about our family members in the body of Christ that are undergoing such deep, brutal, intense persecution. Never before in the history 
In history, have Christians been persecuted in a greater way, to a greater extent than they are right now in this day that we are living? There are more Christians undergoing brutal persecution and execution for simply believing in Jesus Christ. And I would like to believe that that could never happen in the United States of America. But I'm not that naive. If it can happen in other places, it can happen here. But God's calling to us today. And he's saying, wake up. Wake up. And fulfill your divine destiny. You have got to... Wake up and fulfill your... How about repent and be forgiven? You're going to preach about Jesus or does he just get an honorable mention in the sermon of yours? Today, whom you're going to serve, and even if it means persecution, even if it one day means that if you stand with God and his word, you may face imprisonment and persecution and torture and even execution, that we will stand firm and we will not waver. I love what Franklin Graham said recently as he, as he spoke at a, a national convention. It was so powerful. How many of you know who Franklin Graham is? It's Billy Graham's son. Oh, thank God bless Franklin Graham. But this is what he said, speaking to pastors and church leaders. He said, God hates cowards. God hates cowards. It's in the Bible. It says in the book of Revelation that all the cowardly will find their, them, their set place in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. Yeah, you're going to talk about hell now. Um, we need to hear the gospel too, repentance and the forgiveness of sins. You kind of almost steered into it and then veered away from it quickly. God is calling his people, his church, to walk the line to walk that straight and narrow path and make a divine impact that will reach into eternity, to make ripples that will go on and on and on and on. And passive people never make a divine impact. You've got to be passionate for Jesus. You've got to. If you were passionate for Jesus, you'd be preaching Jesus begging you today to make that decision. Yeah, make a decision. Okay, yeah, la, 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 la. You better make a decision. La, 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 la. is the solution to the problem. La, la, yeah. Where's the gospel? Go all out for him. And there you have it. That is the sermon. I don't know what that was. More like a verbal beating by Kelly Hoodnall uh, from Radiant Church in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Jesus got barely mentioned at all, but oh boy, lots and lots and lots of law. And yet she kind of assumed that the people she was preaching to, they need to wake up. And that means that they've run afoul of their their need to make a decision for discovering their divine destiny thingy, which means that they haven't done the will of God, which means that they've sinned and they are in need to be forgiven. But the gospel wasn't the solution. The solution is make a decision. And that is, I don't care if you're male or female, that is a twisting of God's word and not rightly handling and dividing God's word between law and gospel and using the law unlawfully. What did you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. 
Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.